Bible. So if you've got a Bible, um, I would love for you to open up to Mark chapter 1, um, Mark's Gospel chapter 1. So right at the beginning of the New Testament, go past Matthew and Mark 1 is going to be our text today. And if you found your place, um, Mark's Gospel begins like this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then came a voice from the heavens, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered to him. Now after John was put into prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What a powerful introduction, not just uh, to us today, but as the original audience would have read this, one of the earliest accounts, maybe the earliest account of the life of Jesus what a way to introduce Jesus to the world. Um, you know, services like we've had today, uh, songs like we've sang, worship like we've had, um, it, it really punctuates um, what these meetings are all about, um, what really was just getting started when this book was being written um, and all that was going on on earth. Um, really, it punctuates and magnifies God's presence. And I think that's our goal. We come to church, we want to, we want to know that God is with us, right? We want to know that God was here and that we, you know, we want to feel or sense or be aware of his presence. And, you know, I love church and I love worship and I love being in community with people just like yourselves. But, you know, all of this, all of what we do and many others that do the similar things around the world in settings like this and fashions like this, whether in the same language or the same songs, whatever the traditions may be, but all of what we do here, And in buildings like this, what people do um, around the world is an awesome reminder and a refreshingness from God about God's presence. It's a reminder that God is real, that he is with us, and that we can be refreshed by these services. And, and, And people often ask and wonder, you know, maybe you wonder, you know, what's different about Christianity when compared to other religions? What 
is the distinction? What is the incentive for someone to believe in Jesus or Christianity over other religions? And there's many uh, pulling people from different angles. I think the greatest distinction, I think the greatest difference um, of, of, of all of them would be concerning the purpose of meetings like these. Um, you know, every faith, every religion gathers together and sings and confesses and studies and commits themselves. Um, but, but the purpose of these sorts of gatherings for Christians is very unique. And it's very important to make the distinction. Whereas every other faith and every other religion, they meet in holy places like this on holy days, performing holy rituals to experience something that can only be confined and only be experienced in that holy order, in that holy place. But Christians, we gather for a reminder and refreshing, but Christians believe what goes on in places like these is but a springboard, but a launching pad for what we can experience anywhere we are, wherever we are, whatever we might find ourselves doing, that what we experience here is not confined to what we do here, but is a springboard, a launching pad for what we can experience and have anywhere and everywhere. What we do here clues us in, focuses us in on, magnifies, clarifies, inspires, informs, and equips us, refreshes and reminds us of who we are, what we have, no matter where we are, no matter what we may be doing. All of it comes back to the subject under this banner of God's presence and religion. Today and all throughout history has constantly chased after containing and maintaining God's presence. But only Christianity, and I'd be ready to go to, to, the, to the platform and defend this, only Christianity offers the good news that we're all looking for and longing for for every single day. That God is always near. That God is always close, not just here, not just today, but everywhere and always God, God is with us. That's exclusive to what we believe and what the Bible teaches about Jesus and Christianity. You know, how can we be so sure? How can we be so confident? Maybe, you're, maybe you even have your doubts and you call yourself a believer, right? We all doubt this sometimes. We all wonder if this is actually true and can it actually be reality for us? And, and, and that has everything to do with what we believe about Jesus and who we believe Jesus to be. And, and rest assured, Jesus can take anyone to this place of certainty that God is with us, that God is always close, that he's always near. I mean anyone, I don't know what you think the biggest thing or the biggest idea about Christianity is. I don't know how you would capture or explain Christianity if someone were to just ask you, you know, hey, give me your definition of Christianity in about two minutes. I don't know how you would respond to that. But the thing, but this, this idea of God being with us, this idea of God being near and God being close, this is the only part, this is the only part that matters and that can take care of every other area of interest when it comes to our faith. For a long time, I thought Christianity was about this place or about that rule. But when I arrived at this truth, where, I, where it became about a relationship with God, a connection to God, God's presence with me at all times, that's when it finally clicked for me, and that's when it finally and truly started changing my life. For a long time, I believe Christianity, like most other religions teach about their faith, I believe Christianity was only about what happens when I die, or only about how I am to behave, but I've learned it's better than that. Because God's presence covers all of the bases, our eternity and our behavior. Now, some of you may disagree with me, but we'll settle those differences later. I imagine there are some others here today, though, 
You're intrigued by this notion that this is what Christianity is all about. You're intrigued by this idea that Christianity is mostly or mainly about knowing that God is always near and that only Christianity gives you the pathway to know that God is always close. And the idea that this can be true in a reality for everyone and everywhere we may find ourselves, I bet that's even more enticing and I believe many and I believe most believers don't even have that assurance. That's why this should be talked about and preached about so much in the church. This is what, this is what can cause our faith to go from being a part-time hobby to being a full-time reality. When we know that God is near, when we understand that God is always closer than we may have realized. Now, I don't think this is only world-changing for you if you're a non-believer. I believe this is world-changing for believers because many Jesus followers don't live from this place of confidence that God is near and that God is always close. Many Jesus followers wonder how close he is on any given day. I want to ask everybody a question, and if your answer is yes, don't feel condemned, don't feel pointed out, and you don't have to raise your hands. But a lot of believers are going to have the same answer that non-believers would have. Have you ever felt far from God? Like God was distant from you? Or that you were distant from him. Have you ever found yourself, have you ever felt like God was far away? I think the answer is yes. I don't think the answer is only yes for non-believers. But as a believer, I'll make the confession in front of everybody. As a believer, there have been times in my life where I felt like God was not anywhere close to me. And that I went here, I went there, I did that, or I wanted, I wondered that, I read that, I tried that to make it feel better. But I have been in seasons of my life where it felt like God was as far away as he could get. And and heck, some of you, some of you, your answer might not just be, yes, I felt far from God, but you might would say right now, I feel far from God. And maybe this is a question that you kind of want to dance around because you, you, just feel, you don't know if you can say this or you should say this, but maybe you need to hear yourself you know, say this and be honest with yourself. Do you feel far from God? And maybe you don't feel far from God right now because you're in the church, right? But maybe later today, maybe tomorrow, maybe last week, have you ever found yourself or have you found yourself recently where you would say yes to that? Now, now some preachers or Christians might try to say to you, well, the reason you feel far from God is because you're not doing this right or you're doing that wrong. Growing up in the church, I was taught and I sort of gravitated to this place where on any given day, I would go back and forth from feeling far and feeling close. You ever been there? Where, man, I feel good sometimes, the radio's playing, it's a song that really is helping me out, or I just walked out of church based on how good or bad I've been. I mean, has anybody been there right where I felt close earlier, but now it's two hours later and I don't feel so close, Right? And for that reason, when someone would ask me, when someone would ask me, have you ever felt close to God? Or do you feel close to God? I would say, well, I don't really know how to answer that all for a, you know, a universal answer because I'm all over the place. Yes, I felt close to God yesterday, but I don't feel so close today. Or I felt close to God earlier today, but I don't feel so close right now. Or I was having a bad morning, but that song came on, or that person came to me and prayed for me, or I went to church, or I saw them, or I saw that, or I did that, and now I feel closer than I did earlier. Have you ever been at that place where you just kind of oscillate from close to far Should it be that way? Does it have to be that way? I grew up using and hearing this language all the time. I feel close to God now. 
Like I did something and now I feel close. I didn't feel close, but now I do. I, I grew up in church and I used to hear people say, well, I used to feel closer to God, but now something's happened. And I wish I could feel close again. Or maybe you would even say, uh, maybe you've said this before, or maybe you're saying this right now, I'm getting closer. You know, I've been praying, I've been reading, I've been studying, been focusing, been, been attending, and hey, I'm getting closer. We've all used those phrases before, haven't we? And we've kind of accepted that we're just going to live a life where some days will be better and some days will be worse. And maybe someone told us, maybe we came to the conclusion on our own, if I do this, I'll feel closer. If I stop that, I won't feel so far away. But honestly, no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard I try, even when I checked the box every single day, even when I did everything that I thought I needed to do, there were some days where I just could not get where I thought I should be. I prayed, I studied, I read, I did the things, I didn't do the wrong things, I did the right things, I checked every box, but I just could never maintain the feeling as if God was as close as I'd like Him to be. Some days, sometimes, some moments, I would feel close, and then it would just change on a dime sometimes. I get the wrong news, or I see the wrong person, or things just go the wrong way. I couldn't even control it. Have you ever been there? I call this seasonal closeness. And I don't mean like spring, winter, and fall, and summer. I mean, you know, this morning and then this afternoon, right? For a long time, I just assumed this was how it was going to be. Church sometimes would be the cure-all for me. Uh, until dismissal, that is. Or, but, and sometimes, you know, church didn't help me that much. Sometimes I didn't like the songs. I didn't like the sermon. I didn't really think the scripture was that good, or I didn't think it really spoke to me. And I walked out of church feeling as dead as I did before. And, and sometimes, I'll be honest, I walked out of church thinking, man, it, you know, I could just walk on water or do the things that spiritual people do. But it wasn't always a guaranteed. And I used to hear people, and I still hear people say this, well, you know what, I, I didn't feel it there, but I went here and I felt it. But that's not always a guarantee that it's going to always last. Now, some believers, many believers, many people struggle under the pressure of always feeling close, always maintaining this closeness. So if you feel like that's a struggle that you have, you're not alone. But remember, I told you that Jesus came to give us good news. Good news is not, well, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, but you never can know. Good news is not, well, this morning the music was good and the service was good, but this afternoon it all fell apart. Good news is not, well, hey, that's how it's going to be. Good news is it's better than that. Good news concerning God and us, Jesus can take anyone, I promise you this, including you, to this place of certainty that God is with us always. Let me say this. There's no such thing as certainty when it comes to your feelings. So let's go ahead and decide that we're not going to choose to base anything on how we feel. Now, that's, that's a big good luck with that, right? And, and Satan is already thinking, hey, I'll make you feel so bad you'll have to give in. But he's defeated, and we're not going let to let him win. When we feel great and super pumped up, we're still not going to lean into our feelings because that same part of us will slay us and leave us for dead when things go the other way. There's something better than a feeling, and that's knowing. That's assurance, and, and I'm not trying to just be persuasive. What if? What if you can indeed come to a place of knowing that God is near and close, that He is with you? What if this is a reality that you can actually live in and step into? What if, what if the secret isn't something you have to do or someone you have to become? What if proximity to God 
What if closeness to God has nothing to do with where we are or what we've done? Not even what if it has anything, what if it has nothing to do with who we are? What if to get close to God? You don't have to move, you just have to turn. What if getting close to God isn't about behavior, but it's about believing? What if? What if everything that needs to happen for anyone to get close to God has already happened? What if it's not based on how you feel today? or based on how good the service was, or how the country is doing, or how your family is doing? What if it's not based on any of those temperamental things that go one way or the other on any given day? What if everything that needs to happen for you to get close and stay close and always be close to God has already happened? What if God is not far from right where you are? And some of you may say, God is not going to get anywhere close to me. You might be surprised. And that's good news. Today is just the beginning of a walk we're going to take through the Gospel of Mark where we are going to arrive at this conclusion. We're going to come to this life-changing place. We're going to arrive at a destination where no matter where we are on any given day, God is never that far away. Now listen, I'm not just trying to sell you on something. I actually believe this. And God has changed the way I understand a relationship with him in such a fundamental way. This is such an amazing message from God, from his word. What if no matter where we are on any given day, God is never that far away? Now here's the setup for the today and the next couple of weeks. You don't want to miss what we're studying through Mark. The Gospel of Mark should really have a subtitle um, because it was the Gospel of Mark as told by Peter. Uh, Mark's Gospel is Peter's story. Now, Mark is a follower of Peter who followed Jesus, of course. Mark tells us the story that he was told by Peter. Now, we'll get to that in a minute. But most of us only know Mark from the title of this book. But we all know Peter, right? If you were a Christian in the first century, Peter was the closest thing to Jesus. If you met Peter, you felt like you had just met Jesus, right? I mean, Peter was the guy. He was the superstar. He was the one that had lived it and bought the t-shirt and wore it around all the time to let you know that he was a Jesus follower from the very beginning. Peter was Jesus' right-hand man. He'd seen it all. For the first 30, 35 years of Christianity, Peter trekked all across the Roman Empire, spreading the good news of Jesus. The good news was that in the same way Peter and the apostles knew Jesus that anybody could know Jesus. And that just because Jesus was in heaven now didn't mean his presence was somehow gone from earth. Jesus' death wasn't the end. Peter swore he had witnessed the resurrection. He didn't believe it at first, but then he saw the living, breathing, resurrected Jesus. He was convinced And while at first many doubted him and the reality, they couldn't deny that Peter had something no one else had. He was bold. He was courageous. He was zealous. He was committed. He could not be intimidated. What made Peter even more puzzling to skeptics and doubters uh, was that he was uneducated. He was a blue-collar fisherman. He couldn't read. He couldn't write. But boy, could he talk. Not always with the best grammar or form, but with an undeniable passion. A Gentile academic named Luke was commissioned to do research and write a history on Jesus and the church by a bunch of people who just couldn't believe it to be true. Luke went on to interview many who saw and were a part of and impacted by the Jesus movement. He even interviewed the opposition to the Jesus movement. 
And listen to what Luke's history tells us about Peter. When they saw the boldness, the courts, saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished and they recognized. Now, they recognized as in these people, not that they used to know Jesus, but they had been with Jesus and they had saw Jesus bleed and die. So they couldn't figure out how are these people so filled with the presence of Jesus when we killed him? Something's not right here. But they were convinced. Peter had been, as in just the moment before, as in the very moment that the courts were trying him, that Peter was with Jesus and Jesus was with Peter. It goes on to say, Peter and John answered, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. But we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. We're not telling y'all some stuff we read in a book. We're not repeating something that was told to us. We saw it and we heard it with our own eyes. We are not threatened by your opposition. Now, Anytime people actually got to meet Peter, they were convinced of how true all the stories were that were written about him like those. Peter settled down in the, years, in the later years to head the church or to lead the church at the heart of the Roman Empire. And he actually dictated two letters that would be spread around the church. And when Peter wrote about his faith, it was so different. It was so alive. One example of how Peter started a letter Blessed be the God of our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He says, y'all, I don't just believe in some religious relic tradition that was dead and never had any life in it. I believe in the Son of God who came and lived on earth. He changed my life, but He's not gone. He's still with us. He's still with me. And you can have that same reality. Peter would tell the story of Jesus and many were convinced that Jesus could indeed be with them like he was with Peter. By the mid-60s AD, Peter was getting older and Nero had just de decreed Christians as criminals and was going to kill every one of them if he could. Peter was as bold as ever and many worried that he wouldn't be around much longer and if he died, all the stories and all the, the memories would go with him. So Mark sat Peter down. Mark, Peter's protege, his closest friend, his devoted follower, he sat down Peter and said, Peter, I want you to pour your heart out to me. I feel like God is wanting you to tell me your story. I need to write it down. I know you can't write and you can't read, but I can. And I feel like God has put it in my heart. I feel inspired even that I need to write this story down. So Peter, I just want you to start talking and I just want you to pour it all out. And Mark would go on to write the first of its kind, a historic biography of a single man who in the grand scheme of things, a few people in the world had even heard of. But Mark believed that the story could be written down, preserved, and passed on, that people would be talking about Jesus for maybe even decades to come. Mark does not edit the story. He just gives it like Peter gave it to him. And that, that's the reason why it's so messy. It's out of order. It, it goes from one event to the other. Peter tells it like we tell our story stories. There's detours, there's rabbit trails, there's insider-only references. The story jumps from one scene to the others, and I love the way the story begins. It's almost like Mark set Peter down and said, okay, Peter, I want you to tell everything about Jesus, but I want you to start with the beginning. 
And Peter's thinking, you know what, I, I don't know where to start. I mean, I saw so much, but you know what, I, I just need to go ahead and start with a statement that gets out of the way who I believe Jesus is and what I believe he came to give us. So Peter starts the gospel by saying, hey, this is the story, this is the good news, this is the gospel, not just some good news, but the good news from God that Jesus Christ came to give everybody a chance to know who God is through this exclusive way. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the only way you're ever going to find out about the God that the Jews worship, that we believe is the only God. This is the exclusive way. This is the good news that we all so desperately want to know. Can God be with us always? And Peter would say, I've got great news for everybody. Everything I'm about to tell you, Mark, Anybody that's reading this 5, 15, 20 years down the road, I mean, maybe people will read it even hundreds of years from now. Who knows how long this book will be around. Everything I'm about to tell you is about the good news. And that tells us that nothing about Jesus is bad. That the good news is that Jesus will only add to, not take away from the quality of your life. That if you want to shrink down, what does the good news mean? How can we describe everything about Jesus as good news? Peter's saying everything I'm about to tell you, everything about Jesus is only always good. It will only add to, it will never take away from the quality of your life. Peter goes on to set the stage for Jesus by telling how about how he first heard about Jesus, this traveling preacher named John who was on the Jordan River from Galilee to Judea preaching that God was about to do something that you don't want to miss what God's about to do. And John was baptizing as a way of symbolizing cleaning people off, cleaning the flesh. But he's saying, hey, what God's going to do is not just going to clean the outside, it's going to clean you from the inside. It's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. And that's the big idea of Christianity. The good news that Peter is here to tell us about, the change that John preached about, was so much bigger and better than we often shrink it down to be. See, I grew up, and my version of Christianity was basically this. Death is just around the corner. This is really encouraging for kids. You could die at any minute. Do you want to go to heaven or hell? Now, I'm not picking on people, but that's what I learned as a kid. That you could die any time, and you don't want to go to hell, do you? Well, of course I don't. Who wants to go to hell, right? Who wants to live in eternity of torment? I want to go to heaven. Well, I'm glad you asked how, you want to, how can you get to heaven because I'm here to tell you that Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, you'll go to heaven. Well, great. What about the rest of this messed up world? What about the rest of my life? Oh, well, in the meantime, just don't mess up and you'll make it. Now, I might have condensed that a little bit, but that's the version of Christianity that most people, and the only version that most people ever know. Listen, there is a heaven and there is a hell, but to condense the message of Jesus to being only about what happens when you die is an insult to the good news. The tactic may be popular because it scares people, but only in short term. The good news that Peter is talking about, the good news that John preached about, the good news that Jesus brought into the world is not about something distant coming soon or far away. It's about something that you can experience right now. Look at verse 14. 
After John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is, in, the time is fulfilled. The time is now, not in the future, not coming soon, some unexpected time in, the, in, in, in history. The time is now. The kingdom of God is at hand or it's near. It's near. It's moving in. It's moving day and it is near. There's two misconceptions about the kingdom of God. This does not refer to when the kingdom of God is not just some distant place we only get to when we die because this is written as something happening all at once, not just for people when they die. It's also not referring to the second coming of Jesus because this was the first coming of Jesus. The point is that there's something we can experience right now as Jesus' followers that is a preview of what's next, that is a taste of what eternity has for us. But your eternal life does not have to wait to begin whenever you get to heaven. You can experience what it means to know Jesus right now. Right before Jesus is conf- before this, Jesus is confronted by Satan, and that means that Satan was trying to stop him, trying to stop you from getting to the place that God wants you to get right now. Notice the message here is the time is fulfilled, the time has come, the time is now, the kingdom of God and its king are here. This was about a change, a new reality that God wanted to usher into the lives of everybody. And He still wants to usher into the lives of every one of you. Not when you die, not in some far-flung future, but right now. The first century believers, they got this. They saw and experienced the immediate practical impact of the good news. The story continues and Peter says, after Jesus started preaching, He went by the Sea of Galilee and He saw Simon and Andrew, that's me, Peter would say, and my little brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, and he saw John, and they were both, they were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father in the boat with the hired servants, and they went after him. Here's the point. They didn't just pray a prayer and say, We'll see you in heaven. They didn't, Jesus didn't say, repeat after me, pray this prayer, and you'll be fine. He says, hey guys, I am here to invade your lives. I'm here to change your life. You're living your life on the sea, wasting it in a field that's not going to bring you anything eternally good. Follow me. Things are about to change. You won't regret it. See, that's different than just a prayer that you pray and then you don't see it until you die. That's something about right here and right now, isn't it? They started following Him on earth and their lives were changed. They were with Jesus and Jesus was with them. Listen, the first century church didn't have this disconnect between believers and followers like in our world today. There wasn't confusion about, well, I'm going to heaven, but I don't really follow Jesus now. You know why? Jesus wasn't and isn't just a ticket. He was and is better than that. He's the King The story goes on that Jesus began to teach in the synagogues and he began to cast demons out of people, changing lives from people that they thought they could ever change. He brought under authority the lives of people who they thought were too far gone. He spoke with authority. He brought change that no one thought could happen. If Jesus was indeed a king, authority would be expected. But unlike most kings, he wasn't using his authority for himself. He was signaling that his authority was being used and leveraged for the good of others. 
See, in ancient times, when word spread that a king was coming, that a king was coming from a faraway land, people were scared to death. Because when someone showed up on this Jordan River and began telling that a king was on his way, most considered this a threat and an invasion was imminent. If a king was coming to a foreign land, it was because he wanted to conquer. He may first come with words of peace, but kings only visited foreign lands to inspect or plan his next trip, his last trip. Make no mistake, when a king or an ambassador of a king showed up, they, were, they would give a warning. The time has come. The kingdom is near. Surrender and accept the bad news because your days are done as free people because the king is here and he's going to take everything you have and he's going to take all of you to be his slaves and if he doesn't like you, he'll kill you. That's what the ancient world lived through, right? There was Rome, there was Greece, there was Babylon, there was Persia. It was kingdom after kingdom. The king is coming. The kingdom is near. The kingdom is here. Surrender and accept the bad news and just deal with it. But that's what makes Peter's introduction to Jesus so powerful and so captivating because it's on, it's on a threat. A king shows up, and rather than bad news, he's got good news. The time has come. The kingdom is near. Repent and believe, as in, I know what you're thinking. This is bad news. How could a king change my life? How could a kingdom improve my life? How could living for someone besides myself improve my life? You've got to change the way you're seeing things because the way you're seeing things isn't helping you. And you have to trust that this is good news, not bad. This is for your good. This is for your best Peter is telling us a story of good news that God has come near, that God has come close, the kingdom has moved in, the king has moved in. And never again does anyone have to worry or wonder if they are close to God or if God is far away because Jesus is here to stay. And if we change the way we've been seeing the world, especially the way we understand religion, if we turn towards the message of Jesus, if we turn towards Jesus, if we put our trust in Jesus, we will realize that God is not far away at all. This is the first and foremost change God wants to make in your life, to make it clear and certain that God is with you. And when God is with you, that changes everything about you. You'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit as the presence of God moves in and moves sin and flesh out of the way. You will never be the same. Whether we feel close or not, we can know that God is always near, that He's never far away. Say goodbye to seasons of I felt close, but now I feel far. More, no more ups, no more downs, no more offs, no more ons. Just here and now forever. Because it's true, the secret isn't something you do or someone you have to become. Proximity to God has nothing to do with where you are or what you've done or who you are. To get close to God, you don't have to move or change. You have to turn. You don't have to behave a certain way. You just have to believe that God has moved in. Everything that needs to change, everything that needs to happen for anybody to get close to God has already happened. God is not far from right where you are. Peter's just getting started with his story, but if what he's given us in this introduction is true, even when those in the first century doubted, there was something within all of them that wanted to, be, to believe. This sort of news was too good to not believe that God would come near 
that God would be close no matter what, no matter who? That's unbelievable, but what if it's true? What if today, as you sit in church that has persisted and pressed on, carrying the message of Jesus, what if you can have the same assurance? What if Jesus is here? And what if He's always near? What if when this is taught and when this is preached and when we talk about it, He's especially present to invite someone like yourself who is wondering, who is hoping that this could be true. What if you turned toward Him? What if you trusted in His good news? What if you could know that God is always close? What if? What if you took Peter's word and said, okay, I believe that Jesus is near. I believe that he is here. I believe he is king. I am going to put my faith in him. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again. And because of that, the message he preached, the kingdom he preached about was ushered in full on this earth. And I'm going to trust in him right now, starting today. I'm not going to wait to experience him when I die. I'm going to start living right now because that's what Jesus always intended. What if you turned and trusted in that? And I'm not just talking to non-believers, I'm talking to Christians. What if this was the basis of your faith and no longer you were wandering here and there, but you would rest in knowing that God is always near? What if we all got back to this place and lived from this place, turning and trusting, knowing and living that God is always with us and nothing can change that? Wouldn't that be good news for everybody? I think so. I know so. We're going to close with a song that is really about praising God for His presence. But if you're here today and you live in this place where you never know, sometimes you feel like it, sometimes you don't. It's all based on what you do and who you are and how you feel. Listen, if you live in that kind of world, if church has taught you to live in that kind of world, it's better than that. That Jesus and His kingdom are here to stay. They're moving in. They've moved in. And all you got to do is trust and believe that He is the King. He is your Savior. And you can have His presence with you at all times. He's going to change your life. He's going to radically transform you. Get ready. It's going to be the best thing ever. But right now, all I'm worried about is if you wonder if God is near, if you wonder where God is at, God is right here. And if you turn to Jesus and trust in his good news, you can experience and know that he is always with you and you will never be alone. That's enough to change anybody's life. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the good news. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, you didn't come in like most kings ready to conquer and enslave. You came in with the good news. And you gave all of us a very simple message. Repent and believe. The way you've been doing it, clearly isn't working. Because living in a place of fear, living in a place of doubt is not the way God wants it to be. He wants you to live in a place of confidence and assurance that he is with you and he'll never leave you. And if anybody here today, Lord, they struggle with sin, they struggle with doubt, they struggle with all sorts of things, they go back and forth, some days they're good, some days they're bad, they want some certainty they want some some security lord you're the one that can give them that that security lord i pray that as they turn towards you you would respond to them if your kingdom has moved in lord if your kingdom isn't far away if you aren't far away as we are here today singing and listening and worshiping and looking to you god we trust that you will move in our direction today 
and give somebody the peace and the assurance that they are so desperately looking for. That you're always with them. That's good news. Thank you, Father, for that good news. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.